0: You are listening to Tell It From Calvary, a ministry of Calvary Baptist Church, New York City, where we preach Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. The following sermon is by Dr. Ed Stetzer, author, missiologist, and interim teaching pastor at Calvary. For upcoming events and services, visit our website at cbcnyc.org. And now, Here is today's message. Blessed are the persecuted. I just wanted to put that screen up right at the beginning, because I think that's kind of a jarring phrase and not something that we necessarily um, immediately believe. Uh, The year was 155 AD, and that year uh, kind of has... Some great importance on the text we're going to consider this morning. A guy named Polycarp was the bishop or kind of the head pastor of the churches of Smyrna, which is located on the western edge of modern day Turkey, just across the Aegean Sea from Athens, Greece. You might remember uh, the church of Smyrna is mentioned in Revelation 2 as one of the churches, uh, one of the seven churches to whom Jesus writes letters. During the time of the Roman Empire, there were occasional um, regional persecutions, but There's not an all-out manhunt to search, find, and kill all Christians. That's kind of something that was later a production of Moody movies, and the New Testament doesn't say that. But it's uh, myths grew up that were that was widespread. Always persecution, but it wasn't. In fact, Polycarp was a well-known and respected churchman in town. But there was a citywide festival that they were having, and an uproar took place, and the crowd called for his death. So word came down pretty quick that they're coming for him. But Polycarp was not afraid. Uh, when the police arrived at his house, uh, the authorities arrived at his house, he invited them in, served them a meal, asked for an hour to pray. Um, he st- then he stood silently praying for two hours, praying fervently for two hours. Um, the soldiers were ashamed that they had come to arrest him, they arrest this revered old man. So he was brought to the officials who tried to persuade him to call Caesar Lord. That's basically what they went through, call Caesar Lord. Remember the revolutionary idea The uh, shocking idea was that the early Christians said Jesus is Lord when everyone else was supposed to say Caesar is Lord. So, and basically, if he could call Caesar Lord and light a pinch of incense on his behalf, even if it didn't actually mean it, the officials said, now what what would it matter? What would it matter? Your life will be spared, Polycarp. What would it matter? But Polycarp refused. And he was brought then to the, what's functionally a stadium where the proconsul questioned him and um, sought to convince him to, you know, to Caesar for the sake of his life. Um, He said, swear, um, allegiance to Caesar in this case, but swear and I will release you. Curse the Christ. Now it's escalated at this point, right? Curse the Christ. Um, And so Polycarp's response is preserved in written documents. It's It's pretty amazing, pretty astounding. He says, quoting in English, the translation, Eighty and six years I have served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? So it goes back and forth with the proconsul and the crowd uh, brought wood and fire to burn him alive. Crowds turned quickly. They attempted to tie him down, but um, he said, I don't need to be restrained. He had no need to be restrained. He he said again, he granted he granted me to endure the fire. He who granted me, excuse me, he that granted me to endure the fire will grant me also to remain on the wood. He was talking about unmoved. So the fire was lit, uh, but the story goes it did not consume him. So the executioner, um, they stabbed him to death with a dagger to kill him. This is part of our Christian history. This is the true story of a well-respected pastor who undergoes persecution unto death for his faith. And Polycarp's um, story is not unique. There were countless Martyrs in the first few centuries. Now again, it wasn't everywhere, like sometimes we think of that they were just everywhere we're going. We're catching Christians because Polycarp lived to be an old man. Um, but the there are countless Jesus followers who um, boldly underwent persecution and martyrdom. And today, there are countless examples of that we hear stories, um, stories such as Polycarp or others, and think, "What a great faith they have. We must remember that Jesus called all of his followers. To be ready to endure such persecution and in matthew 5 9 jesus gives another um what's 5 10 and 10 through 12 another upside down proverb right a teaching that seems counter-cultural uh, let's let's take a look at it it's, it's, it's matthew chapter 5 uh, beginning at verse 10 and we'll look um, we'll look to verse 12 okay let's take a look here on the screen it says blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So today, um, you know, we just have a few of these um, online gatherings left. Today, I want to focus on one theme or topic that I think is real essential what it means to be persecuted for righteousness' sake, and what it means to rejoice in our persecution. Now, one of the recurring themes we've talked about here is that uh, the Sermon on the Mount is all about upside-down thinking. Remember that early video? You can can always watch these online and go back. That early video where where I talked about um, there was an artist, and she sort of was painting an upside-down picture, and you couldn't see it till it turned back upside-down. Well, our Beatitude today demonstrates this very well, because I can't think of a lot of people who would say, blessed are the persecuted, right? But as we look at the Sermon on the Mount... Uh, we learn that, um, but this is the case. There's some sort of blessedness in this. Look, look, look here at First uh, Peter three fourteen. But even if you suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, um, nor be troubled. Now I will tell you. Um, I will tell you. I'm going to confess to you, so you can see me uh, next time we're in person and say, Ed, I need to talk to you about this. Is that um, sometimes I drive too fast? I just do. And sometimes I'll be driving too fast down the highway and I'll pass a police officer. That police officer will be sitting there with a radar gun and I have some fear. Um, That's not what this is talking about, right? Uh, That's not suffering for righteousness sake. I'm actually suffering for speeding if I were to get a ticket, which just for the record, I haven't for a very, very long time because I don't speed that much. Um, Decades, just I feel like I have to defend myself. Decades, right? Um, but our response to suffering for Christ is to rejoice in the reward when it's suffering for Christ. And that's what we're going to look at today because it starts with the specific source of the persecution, right? Um, we're gonna, gonna let me just tell you the three things we're going to look at today. We're going to look at the specific source of persecution, the suffering saints being persecuted and the sure salary of the persecuted. And our response to suffering for Christ is to rejoice, in the reward. We're going to see that. So just a reminder, if you're new to Calvary or haven't been in a while, we've been working our way through Jesus' most famous sermon, the most famous sermon preached by the most famous person who ever preached a sermon. It's three chapters, Matthew 5 through 7, but we've slowed down. Matter of fact, if you've been here the last few weeks, we would go in Matthew 5, 6, Matthew 5, 7, Matthew 5, 8, Matthew 5, 9, and that suddenly feels like we've lurched forward with verses 10 through 12, but it only feels that way because we're going so slow and we will speed up after the Sermon on the Mount. But We've been going through these beatitudes, right? You can always spot them because they're blessed are the, blessed are the meek, blessed are the merciful. You get the idea. So as I mentioned, um, I want to remind you one last time. Most Bible translations translate the word blessed or blessed, depending on how you pronounce it, what part of the country you're from. And they translate the Greek word that Matthew uses, blessed. But it's kind of difficult because when we think of blessed, we think of active divine favor. God blesses his people and lots of Old Testament passages, that there's a covenant between God and man. God says, I will bless you. I'll bless Abraham. I will bless Moses, right? But that's not the word that Matthew's using. Jesus is saying, isn't saying there's a divine covenant between God and man in the Beatitudes. Beatitudes are more like Proverbs. So it's generally true, like a Proverbs, generally true that these things, but here's, here's the thing that's so remarkable though. Proverbs, it's like, you know, You know, the the Proverbs is full of things like, you know, uh, well, the most famous one, maybe raise up a child in the way he should go and when he's old or not depart. That's a proverb, generally true. And then there's things like, you know, look at the ants and how the ant works or don't be a sluggard or don't love sleep, right? Those are all sort of like kind of obvious things, right? You raise a child well, there's a pretty good probability. It's not a promise. Could have been a probability. Okay. But these are just like in many ways the opposite. They're like Proverbs of the kingdom. Because the way of Jesus is not the same as the way of the world. So the Beatitudes are proclamations that are kind of inviting us uh, into this way of living that and I've said before that kind of is related to the way we'd flourish. You'd flourish if you live this way. So we have to remember the purpose of the Beatitudes. Now let's look at the verse we're talking about and look about what it means to be persecuted for righteousness' sake. Right, so blessed are those, let's take a look at it more specifically, uh, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus continues his formula that he's following, right? And it's the same thing we see in Matthew 5, 6, right? It's uh, blessed are the who do something or who are something, right? So so the blessed are who are something or who do something, and in this case, it's persecution. And persecution seems so foreign to our ears. Now, not maybe to all of us, because we come from so many different countries here at Calvary. But um not to those who follow Jesus historically, not long after Jesus' ascension. You know, we can read in Acts six the martyrdom of Stephen. Later in Acts, we learn the various ways Paul was and his missionary companions are persecuted because they're preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And but it's really important to notice the kind of of persecution Jesus mentions. I'm sure you noticed it, right? Persecution for righteousness sake. That means if you are disliked and mocked at work, but it's because you kind of steal food from their shared refrigerator, that's not persecution that counts. Stop stealing the sandwiches, right? So not all persecution, not all who are persecuted are blessed. You might be persecuted. Um, I don't know. We, we don't typically think of it as persecution. You get a speeding ticket, you don't think it was persecution. But maybe, at work, you said or did something you shouldn't do, and it kind of lasts, and you feel a while longer, they're still holding on to this, they don't need to. That's not the kind of persecution we're talking about here. Sometimes, you're persecuted for being a jerk. So, And being a jerk with your faith misses the blessing, and it's really bad for your witness. And I'm just surprised at how many Christians can be kind of jerks. And if that's you... Um, just realize that that's, this is not what's talking about you and there are other places. This is not the Sermon on the Other Places. You might want to ask, how might I show more of the fruit of the Spirit? Um, but he, one of the things we want to see is that it's suffering on Jesus' account, right? Um, it's suffering because of Christ. Uh, one of the more famous work characters who would claim to be a Christian would be Angela from uh, from The Office. And uh, it's kind of a famous the, the actress who plays her is actually a Christian. And, um, but she, you know, when they have to evacuate and you got to, they tell them what one book would you grab? And she says, the Bible. And says you can't say the Bible. She's a purpose-driven life. You know, Rick Warren's book, but she's kind of a jerk. So I don't, it's not persecuted for righteousness sake. There's no kingdom flourishing or kingdom reward for you. Uh, even if you're being persecuted for being a religious jerk, the jerk part makes it on your account and not Jesus account. Remember it's those who are persecuted on my account, he says. Right. So, now, full disclosure: um, I haven't like talked a lot, a lot about this in my own in my own book here at Calvary. Uh, I've just been preaching the books of the Bible, uh, which I love to do. But uh, full disclosure: here, this is something I've written a book about called Christians in the Age of Outrage and a study guide, um, Christians at Our Best. And I really care about this. It's really on my heart that one of the reasons that the reputation of Christians is suffering is because of the attitude of too many Christians. It need not be. The gospel is offensive to people. Jesus is offensive to people when understood rightly. We don't need you or me to add to the offense of the cross, to add to the offense of the gospel, right? So it says, you know, rejoice in your reward. Not in the persecution, right? It says you can rejoice. You're persecuted for righteousness sake. You're going to rejoice in that. But not in the persecution, right? Some people think... And I think this is historically something that fundamentalists have historically done. You know, we're, our church is an evangelical church. That actually was a key part of creating what was fundamentalism. And, um, and and over time, we still hold to the fundamentals of the faith. But one of the reasons that people sometimes don't use the term fundamentalist is fun, fighting fundamentalists. It seems like people want to fight over fundamentalists. And there are things worth fighting over. You know, the reality of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, the... Uh, the inerrancy of scripture. These are things that matter. But what we want to not miss is, is that it's a reminder again and again that um, we don't want to be known just for fighting. We want to be known for what we're against. And we're against stuff. We are. So the persecution Jesus is talking about directly and specifically comes from living righteously. Remember, Jesus has already mentioned righteousness once before in the Beatitudes. Not too long ago, we looked at Beatitude number four. Uh, And it was again. Let me let me show you again, because just we get the picture of it. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Right. So righteousness. So in this sermon, here Jesus is pointing us to. I mean, throughout the Gospel of uh, Matthew, but also particularly in the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to see. We talk a lot about righteousness, and remember, righteousness in the Gospel of Matthew is using the word differently than it does in Paul's writings. We're not talking about righteousness that's imputed to us. Um, by Jesus that's necessary for salvation, but Matthew uses the term, uh, quoting Jesus, righteousness in reference to something like right conduct or living the way that God calls us to live. And if you remember, I used the example of the word book, book somebody, right? I talked about how my uncle would book people and take them to the tombs, right? For uh, the nickname for the uh, jail um, in New York City. So, um, so, And I'll use the example of a librarian who a book means something else, right? So when Matthew is quoting Jesus on righteousness, he's meaning that kind of right living that God requires us to live. Kind of a view here. So, 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 and righteousness is—it's um, not simply um, internal. In other words, no one's really persecuted because of how they feel on the inside, but what they do on the outside. Their actions that Jesus followers participate in, or sometimes don't participate in, that get people mad, results in persecution, and, and this is going to always be the case, right? So, um, as Piper. John Piper notes um, he he but the world is antithetical to Jesus. He, he, let me just quote John Piper here, right? It says, if you cherish if, me, if you cherish chastity, your life will be an attack on people's love for free sex. If you pursue self-control, your life will indict ex- excess eating. If you live simply and happily, you will show the folly of luxury. If you walk humbly with your God, you will expose, the evil of pride. you see? Okay. So um, so there's a sense that our response to living righteously often is seen as a rebuke by people around us, which can lead to persecution. And our response to suffering for Christ is to rejoice in the reward, which leads us to number two uh, on our outline. Number two, uh, the suffering saints facing persecution, the suffering saints facing persecution. So what does that look like? How might that work? Um, well let's 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 look at it, right? So um, we're looking, remember at the specific source of persecution that's suffering for righteousness. Now we're looking at the suffering saints being persecuted and number three we' look at the sure salary of the persecuted. So remember our response to suffering for Christ is to rejoice in the reward. So in a sense, we're covering two beatitudes today. verse 10 is the eighth and verses 11 and 12 are the ninth and final is the ninth and final. Beatitude. So um blessed are those. Let's continue to look here at the text. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, okay, and utter evil against you. Strong, strong words here, right? Um utter against you falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. so they persecuted the prophets before you. Okay, so uh so here we're looking at, right? Um if we live in the world, is there persecution? Yep, for sure. And suffering is not an illusion, by the way. Suffering is part of the life of the child of God. In many respects, this beatitude is virtually a restatement of the one in Matthew 5.10. Few differences to note. First, there's a shifting of the subject In all the other beatitudes. The subject is general. It's kind of an impersonal, you know, blessed are those who, but in the last beatitude, Jesus actually says, blessed are you and others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. It's very personal. It's not blessed or that is that random person, but blessed are you. Your reward is great. In some sense, it seems Jesus has switched from addressing a general audience to his specific disciples. I actually, in my mind, sort of see Jesus Sermon on the Mount, he's standing, he's got his arms waved, he's looking across the crowd. Blessed are you, this, blessed are you, that. And then he turns to his disciples because he knows what's going to happen to them. God's on the other side of time, he's outside of time, so he knows what's going to happen. And he looks to them and says, And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, you utter all kinds of evil against you, because that's what's going to happen to them. Your reward is great he says. So they've committed themselves to him. They're the ones who'll face hardship. They're the ones who endure persecution from within Judaism and beyond. Um, Second, the cause of persecution is more focused. In Matthew 5.10, it was you're persecuted for for righteousness sake, right? But in 5.11, it's because of Jesus specifically, because of Jesus specifically. So it's tied to following the teachings of Jesus. Third, and what I find maybe most interesting, is that Jesus links the persecution his followers will endure with the way Israel tweeted, uh, tweeted, sorry, treated, uh, with the way Israel treated prophets sent by God. Now, right? So he says you're going to be like the prophets before you. The treatment of the Old Testament prophets are well established in Jewish literature, multiple places in the Hebrew Scriptures. We see glimpses of their treatment. You know, just before Judah is overthrown, citizens taken into captivity in 587 BC. Uh, we, we we read words like this in Second Chronicles. It says, "The Lord, God of their fathers, sent persistently them by His messengers, because He had compassion on His people and on His dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising His words, and scoffing at." His prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people, and there was no remedy. Or maybe remember Nehemiah's prayer after Judah was released from captivity, reminding the people of their past sins. Nevertheless, they were disobedient, rebelled against you, talking about God here, and cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets, killed your prophets, right? And you warned them in order to turn them back to you. Who had warned them in order to turn back to you and committed great blasphemies. Or maybe the writer of Hebrews instructs us the Old Testament prophets endured for the sake of following Jesus. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release. So they might again rise to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They were about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. So whatever persecution, for Jesus' sake, you do find yourself enduring, realizing that you aren't the first one, you aren't going to be the last. And as one commentator put it, such sufferings are neither new, they're not accidental, nor they're absurd. Actually, um, actually, it's it's statistically there's a whole big debate. As, you know the Billy Graham. Reese Billy Graham Center uh, Research Institute here, the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center Research Institute, we get involved in statistical debates and conversations. There's a big debate about how many people were martyred last year. Um, 2020 numbers. But in general, there's always a debate. Because do you count people who, like Polycarp, said, no, I specifically went to deny Christ? Or do you count people like the people of South Sudan, who have been killed indiscriminately, because the Muslim North was... In the midst of a civil war with the Christian South, and people were killed because they were Christians. Or just this past week, we saw kidnappings in Nigeria of people because they were Christians. Um, They didn't specifically deny Christ, but because they were Christians, they were persecuted. So depending on how you count, either way, each year gets worse. North Korea is always number one in the world's persecutors. And then a series of Muslim-majority nations, heartbreakingly, after that. And then you find communist countries mixed into there as well. Um, you know, and, and, and we see this extreme persecution, in India, I can mention others. Um, but there's this sense that the, the writers of scripture under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit say, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Your godliness will offend others because it points out where there may be not. And then there are some words that are actually used to describe that. Right. And I think those words are worth just kind of going through very quickly. And we'll do this because we don't have super long. We'll do this and just go through it quickly. So we use the word reviled already. And that includes things like hostility. Consider him endured uh, such sinners. Uh, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Right? We see that as well. The trust here in Christ. He would his those who follow him would have hostility, suffer. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, the assumption there, you would you will be blessed. Have no fear of them. Be not troubled or hate. It Says if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. Right? Or to exclude or spurn. Blessed are you when people hate you, or ex- they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. I mean, there's so much here. Uh, Matthew 5, 4- 44. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So, persecuted becomes a key word. Okay, we, we saw it a minute ago when we looked at some of the characters in the Old Testament in Hebrew. Some were tortured. Refusing to accept release, right, that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and chains and imprisonment, they were stoned, so on and too. So persecution can come in all shapes and forms. Some is verbal. I do think verbal persecution is a thing. I think we have to be careful because that's not like this whole war on Christmas thing. You know, when the clerk at Walmart wishes you happy holidays instead of saying Merry Christmas and you snarl back, Jesus is the reason for the season, you're not being persecuted. Um, You know, it's not the job of the clerk at Walmart to tell you Merry Christmas. It's the job of the Christian to tell the good news of the gospel to the world, including the message of Christmas. But we do sense it sometimes. My guess is most of us have experienced some low level of dismissal or maybe avoidance. Some of you may have come from countries or backgrounds when it's much more than that. And, And it could be that, you know, decades from now, we might see some of that here, even in our own country. So why? Because um, Jesus followers who are living a life righteously, they continue to choose God's way and God's principles. They become an offense to the world. That leads us to number three in our outline and our final point. Um, So the sure salary of the persecuted, right? There's a payment coming. We look at number one, the specific source of persecution. Number two, the suffering saints being persecuted. Number three, the sure salary of of the persecuted is number three. That's where we're at now is the sure salary of the persecuted. And uh, we see it here, the promise. And it's kind of a recurring theme. It's kind of a recurring theme, but there's a payment. There's a salary for the persecuted. And I say salary because reward literally means wages. So there's a reward. There's a payment promised for the sons and daughters of God who suffer for righteousness sake. So we'd see a couple of two key things in this verse, right? The future hope of heaven. And the present reality of joy in the suffering. Let's 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 look at the text to just get a picture of that. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, the kingdom of heaven is Matthew's way of saying the kingdom of God. He doesn't use the king the word God. I uh, guess Jewish people wouldn't write that frequently. But it's so clear, and we see in Matthew 5:12, rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who are before you. So let's look at the first, right? Hope is in heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. But something also to be remembered here is that um, it's a technical term, it's called an inclusio. And an inclusio is like a bookend with the first beatitude, right? So uh, they would start and end in this style of writing, and we see this in the Gospels. With an inclusio. And if you remember at the beginning, it started with this. It said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what does it mean that theirs is the kingdom of heaven? Because we see it both times here, right? Don't don't miss this, right? So there's a forward-looking aspect. That is, um, you'll see heaven one day. I, I was in Turkey where Polycarp was martyred. And I was training missionaries in Istanbul. I can't give more details because this is online. And they were actually not going to Istanbul, but to another country. And while I was there, I met a woman from that country who became a Christian and has not seen her children since then. She was disowned by her husband, her family, and her children. And I prayed with her and I wept with her. And I know that she'd have eternity before her and Jesus would dry every tear. Um, and I, I, I think that, yes, that's a key part of the promise that's here. But also, I could see in her that that was her comfort right now. Her, She had a, a joy in the midst of her pain. Um, and I know that the time will come and literally... It's going to be Revelation twenty-two, three. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. But at the same time, I was struck by the fact that this persecuted woman also saw this present tense reality mentioned in the text. Rejoice and be glad, and I would tell you it was jarring to me personally uh, when I saw rejoice and be glad. Right, look at Matthew five, twelve persecuted. Rejoice and be glad." And I learned more from her about persecution in that day, probably any other time, because she had a hope of heaven when he would dry every tear, and yet she had a peace that passes all understanding right now. So while we were in Turkey, one of the things we did is we visited a wall, um, and near that wall Turkish Christians were actually killed just a few years before we were there. Same place. They were killed a few centuries before. And um, it's really interesting to see how the Turkish Christians, um, without details, I spent some time with Turkish Christians. But I was reminded. um, Just this week, we were teaching a class here at Wheaton College, and our archivist, Catherine, brought out the journal that Uh, Jim Elliot had. And he wrote, he is no fool who gives what he cannot gain to keep what he cannot lose. And we actually have that journal. It sits just 50 feet from my office. And so our response to suffering to Christ is to rejoice in the reward. And we might face that suffering. We might face that suffering. We might face some dismissal by other people or maybe be excluded from some things. But we also simultaneously have to remember that we might face that suffering. Some of us have faced that suffering, but around the world, people face that suffering every day. So the inclusio, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the persecuted, is quite an inclusio. And in between there, there's a lot of biblical truth. But I wonder if we might just go to the Lord as we close our message today and remind us to pray for the persecuted as we prepare our hearts for that persecution that may indeed come our way. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that by your grace and your goodness you've redeemed us and called us by name. I thank you for your faithfulness at Calvary. Thank you for the freedom that we experience as New Yorkers and people in New Jersey and Connecticut and around the tri-state area. I thank you for the prosperity that we often experience, Lord. So in the midst of that, I pray for the persecuted around the world, that you would give them grace and strength and peace that passes all understanding. And Lord, I pray that you prepare our hearts for the times when we may be shunned, maybe not persecuted, but maybe one day and maybe in some places we would prepare our hearts to rejoice and be glad, knowing that our reward is in heaven. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Tell It From Calvary. If you feel led to give toward the local, national, and global ministries of Calvary Baptist, please visit cbcnyc.org slash give or call us at 212-975-0170. We hope you join us next time as we continue to tell it from Calvary.